Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Book Ride Podcast. This is episode 367, recording on April 2nd, 2020. As expected, things are worse now. <laughs> things were weird and they're only getting weirder. I think that's one of those tricks that feels like it should work that doesn't. Like, you know, it's like, you know, it's going to be bad and then it's bad. And, and your past self is like, I told you it was going to be bad. And your future self is like, yeah, but it's still bad. Past self. Yeah, I don't think it mitigates the badness. Yeah. at all maybe you're just not surprised by it being surprised by the badness would be worse but getting the badness you expected is just no. still bad yeah like if someone says you know what next week you're gonna have the stomach flu you're still gonna feel as crappy during the stomach flu even though that you knew it was going to happen yep. um anyway i hope you all out there are taking care of yourselves I had a couple of nice emails um as part of following up to things saying thank you for continuing the show and doing everything well thank you for continuing uh, to listen yes. as well. I, I mean, I kind of thought we might have been cresting the the wave on news, but I was wrong. Uh, mm. We had a lot of interesting stuff to talk about this week, but first, uh, let's do a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by WW Norton and Company Incorporated. So, Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality, and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student, but how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I guess the biggest news of the week, I, this is the biggest news of the week, um, though, again, expected, or at least to some degree expected, uh, Barnes & Noble closing uh, temporarily, fingers crossed, uh, air quote emoji closing, um, 400 stores of its 627 stores. When I read this, I guess I was pleasantly surprised or cringily surprised it wasn't all 627 stores, Rebecca. Yeah. Yes. I haven't seen a map of where these yeah. 400 are and so where the remaining 227 are located that it 
currently seems magically safe to continue operating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm certainly in the place of like, uh, let's just do the let's just do this nationwide and yeah. stop leaving your house and get it over with. <laughs> it do, it does seem like. I know every place is not being affected equally at the same time, and in the fullness of time, not every place will be uh, affected equally. But this is one of those situations where BN.com seems to still be up and available. Maybe keep those place open because they can control sort of the public coming in. Um, anyway, not surprised. An inauspicious moment for Barnes & Noble to close. Uh, transitions are never a good time. For, I mean, there's never a good time for something like this, of course, especially bad if you were trying to undergo a turnaround mm-hmm. um, of some kind in which your principal competitor is largely still able to deliver ebooks and audiobooks and even a lot of print books to some degree. Tough break um, for Barnes & Noble in, in, the, in a really historical event with many, many tough breaks, many of which are much tougher. Um, but Barnes & Noble... I guess it's better that it happened after they were bought by, and I'm supposed to say Waterstones. It's never going to happen. I'm sorry, people <laughs> from UK. That would be the one time I got it right. Um, I guess it's better that it happened now than six months ago or whenever that happened, Rebecca, do you mm, think? I Well, I think so for the public's trust in Barnes & Noble, or at least for mm. the publishing industry's trust in Barnes & Noble. We had seen some other changes, like... James Daunt and the Watersons folks have been able to start making some changes that it looked like we're going to tighten things up and turn the ship back around um, in a good direction. Also, it kind of doesn't matter who was in charge in this moment because this was going to have to happen, I think. Like 400 or some odd stores were going to have to close, whether it was old management or new management. But certainly being closed under that old management would not give me a lot of faith that they were going to be able to reopen and then rehire. Um, it sounds like Daunt and his whole cohort, um, they have some experience doing this. And if the idea right now is, you know, minimize harm, minimize risk while um, people are susceptible, close these stores and do everything that they can to be able to reopen and rehire after closure. I, I do think it's better. Yeah, I've talked myself back around into <laughs> I do mm. think it matters. And I think it's better that it's uh, it, that it's these folks. Yeah, um, I guess relatedly, the Canadian version of Barnes & Noble, Indigo, um, closed all 199 retail locations and laid off 5,200 of 7,000 total employees, um, still maintaining online sales. Um, Laid off employees were paid until March 27th. And she told Bloomberg Canada, I'm sorry, Heather Reisman, who's the CEO of Indigo, that they thought stores might be closed for as long as 10 weeks. And Heather, I hope that is right because I think you and I have talked about either on the show or off the show. um, We could see a scenario that's quite a bit longer than that. And our own um, Bayesian priors for what this is going to look like are adjusting by the day. I guess, again, not surprising, uh, a real bummer um, for people who were employed, all those 5,200 people Mm -hmm. to get laid off. Um, I'm not sure what to say about this. I'm not. I'm not sure what what else to say except it makes sense. It's probably the most responsible thing for a company to do to be able to have businesses for people to come back to at some point. But that is thin gruel if yeah. you were working there and now you're laid off. And it does protect the health and safety of the employees um, to not be you know, out having to run these stores with potentially infected people in them. But that's also thin gruel when you're talking about you get to be um, safe, but now you have no 
income. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really scary, difficult time. Um, and yeah. Reisman, it, it notes in this PW piece, encouraged folks who otherwise would have been shopping at Indigo um, to shop online and yeah. choose true Canadian companies and not, quote, push the button of that big global American company to fulfill their needs. Um, true, true Canadians. So, true yeah, Canadians. Really seeing um, the focus be on local and independent businesses here. And that's been an interesting, I think, encouraging aspect of this. Um, It's certainly been interesting and encouraging in Richmond, where we have really wonderful independent bookstores and a very lively uh, local restaurant and bar scene and seeing how folks have gotten creative with ways to stay engaged in the community and um, provide ways for their dedicated customers um, to be Mm -hmm. able to continue supporting them has been really interesting. So. Uh, what's your takeout situation in Richmond? Are your restaurants open? Are people doing delivery you, and takeout yes, right you now? Yes, can, you can do delivery, takeout, and curbside. And Bob and I were doing the rundown the other night of like, okay, we're going to do this. We're in week three. Tomorrow will yep. be the end of our third week of... Um, Not that anyone's counting. <laughs> yeah, the end of our third week of quarantining. And Richmond's current order extends through June 10th. So we have another nine weeks um, to go. And we were thinking like, if we do takeout once a week from a local place, like what are the you know, mm. 10 places that we want to throw our cash to and make sure that like, we'd be really sad if these 10 places mm. um, went out of business. And about half of them have closed their doors entirely yeah. um, through this. Um, and the other half are doing takeout. There's a little microbrewery right across the street that we love that you can place an order online and either walk in and get your takeout order or pull around to the back and text them and they will come out and just put your beer in the trunk of your car. Um, We're seeing a lot of those. There's a little diner around the corner that uh, will do brunch and mimosas and a roll of toilet paper (laughs) Um, very cleverly. Mm. Um, But lots and lots and lots of takeout is happening here. What's happening in Portland? I think you. you I I think the situation is similar um, in terms of the ratio. A couple of our favorite places aren't doing anything, but some people are doing takeout and delivery. We've been doing. I've been doing Postmates because they have a thing on there where they say, just drop it up my front door. You don't have mm-hmm. to hand it to me. You don't have to open the door. Because um, I, I was going to one place and I went in to get carry out. I even felt weird about just going into their space and being there. You know, if they're going to, I know they want the business. And I was thinking, it feels like doing delivery and you tip the delivery person and they can just leave it at the door and we don't have to touch each other, or breathe the same air. That felt good. I felt like the right thing to do, mm. but I don't know. That's just yeah. kind of where I am right now. The place we did on Sunday night, like my favorite, favorite place in Richmond, had the door to the restaurant wide open so and the windows were open. And granted, yeah. it was like 85 degrees here on Sunday. Sure. Um, so there was fresh air flowing in and out and the bar had... Um, the paper bags, like paper takeout bags with your name labeled on it. And the staff that were present were just in the kitchen. So I didn't even see anybody. Like Uh, a person walked out of the restaurant. I waited on the sidewalk. Like, you know, they passed me and then I went in and just grabbed my labeled bag off and like, that was it. (laughs) I could hear them in the kitchen. Yeah. I didn't have to see anybody. That's interesting. Yeah. This idea of like the restaurant as a glorified vending machine is super fascinating. Like yeah. we'd heard, we'd seen the phenomenon in Portland, I think in some other places too, of um, what are they called? I think ghost kitchens where there are restaurants that really only do delivery. They mm-hmm. don't have dining in experience or, or really take foot traffic. Like they live to serve apps, um, which, okay, fine. I mean, it's not, it's not that different than a lot of difference. You're buying food that people make. Um, but I wonder if on the other side of this, 
people realize there are different business models around prepared foods like this? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's searching for a silver lining. But in times of crisis like this, you sometimes see adaptations that um, survive um, yeah, the crisis. It was really, we were talking about that as well. Like this spot is a small, it's a small restaurant built in an old house in one of Richmond's older neighborhoods. And you sit very close to the people at the table next to you. And we were talking about like, how long is it going to be before people are comfortable sitting that close to each other in mm. like sitting that close to strangers in restaurants again and how one of the alternatives would be there's like a great park around the corner we could just get takeout and go sit in the park and like have this meal but sitting outside um, mm. which is not something that would have been done before um, interesting to sort of explore that stuff i don't know i like being in a restaurant i like the ambiance and all that but no i, I like mean, it too yeah. but it, it just it does make me wonder if um there'll be some interesting mm-hmm. mutations yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, that I think come so. out of this too. Um, I guess now Powell's, we talked about, um, closed, laid everybody off. Now they have um, announced that they've rehired a bunch of people, uh, more than 100, um, half, a little less than half are union employees as they continue to try to serve. They've had a surge of online orders too, it looks like as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so they're you know they're figuring out what they can maintain. Interest. I'd like to know the math that went into laying everybody off and then rehiring people. I wonder if there was a legal situation, a union agreement. What what's going on here? Maybe they didn't know how much demand they would have. Um, it's interesting to see. Yeah, I think that the. I think from the previous thing that we read and some discussions, like conversations that I've had, the, that the reasoning for just laying everybody off was just that uncertainty of like, what is this going to be? We we probably just have to close our doors entirely. No. Um, and that if they, if you laid people off sooner, they could, you know, file for unemployment sooner and begin, you know, being protected. Um, and then this sort of online order surge has done this. It's interesting to me that it's 49 union employees and the remaining are management. Yeah. Um, like, and they're talking about it's that this is being, it's possible to rehire these 100 people because of online orders that need fulfillment. And I'm, I don't know what the Powell's operations look like, but that was curious to me of like, why do you need 51 people in management um, to man, to handle a surge of, online order fulfillment and that's more managers than actual like staff i don't Um, know i don't know um i it is easy in these situations and i'm saying i'm doing this myself to judge how other people are reacting to the situations like shouldn't this be union shouldn't yeah that's the union issued a statement that i'm sympathetic to but i don't know the full factors of it but most people right now are just doing what they can and yeah, to absolutely. assume ill will right now, I, I think we could charitably and fairly default to people are doing the best they can. I'm sure some people are acting, but I, I don't know because I was like, yeah, why, I, why are they having management like, doing frontline booksellers? Yeah, like I, I completely agree. Everybody is doing the best they can and I'm sure they have a reason. I'm just curious about yeah. how that shook out um, or and curious, I guess, even about 
releasing that info, like releasing that detail. <laughs> oh, it's, it's an interesting. Well, story. the union, I uh, guess, must have known it, mm. and they released it. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to uh, scratch my head rather than point a finger, and I'm tempted yeah, to do yeah, the yeah. latter, but um, yeah, hard I'm to know. Yeah, I'm curious about it. And I think that this fits, at least this surge of online orders, it fits anecdotally with what I've been hearing from mm. folks that I know at indie bookstores who have said like they are, most of them are running on lower um, staff than they had previously, or it's down to just essential employees, which would, is usually the owner um, being allowed to be in the building or do essential functioning like shipping online orders, but they that it's been just jammed, which is mm. great. This is a great problem. <laughs> um, not a problem, even just a great thing to see happening. And I hope it will last. I hope that this is not, you know, just like an initial panic buy of mm. trying to keep indie bookstores going, but that they're these communities um, that talk a lot about wanting to maintain their indie bookstores um, will show up and keep doing it. Certainly um, Chop Suey here in Richmond has been all over um, their Instagram game, and they're staying super busy delivering orders and making recommendations and doing all kinds of creative stuff online that mm. um, so sort of similar to what you were saying about restaurants, wondering like, it'll be, I think, really fun and fascinating to see what creative ideas happen right now that stores can take forward mm. um, into the post-COVID book selling situation. But I'm hearing really heartening things um, from booksellers about how their communities, the stores that have been able to stay open so far, how their communities are supporting them. Yeah. Um, got some more independent bookstore related uh, news to do, but let's do a sponsor first. Okay. Um, I think we, um, when I was making the case for mm-hmm. a publisher rescue package for independent bookstores. I think the name James Patterson probably escaped one of our lips uh, at that moment. If it didn't, it should have. I'm pretty um, sure it did, yeah. And 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 surprising no one who pays attention or listens to the show, James Patterson uh, announced this week that he's spearheading a group um, to raise money to directly give to independent bookstores and you know make sure that they can reopen at some point. A group that includes Reese herself, mm-hmm. her book club, Bink, the Book Industry Charitable Foundation, and the American Booksellers Association, and James Patterson's working those phones. He's calling. He's calling Mike Bloomberg. He's calling Mackenzie Bezos. He's calling people he know. Pony up, Mike. You spent nine hundred million dollars getting seven percent of the vote in a Democratic primary. You, you got a million bucks for mid-list authors. I bet you do, Mike. Um, mm-hmm. And and he's seeding I think it. James Patterson is seeding yes, it with right. half a million dollars of his own. And I maybe I should do a post right. I, I wanted. I kind of wanted to figure out, like, how much money would make a difference. Like, we talked about this with Bookshop.org with Jenna way back. Which Bookshop.org now up to two hundred fifty-two thousand dollars raised um, for independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. I think when we talked last week, it was a hundred. So another, you know, uh, one and a half times there because that's how math works. Uh, <laughs> we're seeing over there. But like, what is the level where it it might make? Like, how how mu- is there a number on if? Eleven million dollars. I'm just picking a number randomly. Eleven million dollars went to independent bookstores, and divided in some way that makes sense. Is that enough to get people through to what point? I'd love mm-hmm. to know that. I, I think it's really interesting math to figure out. Um, he says um, the government has a two point two trillion dollar bailout that will cover all sorts of industries from the airlines to cruise ships and all sorts of other retailers from liquor stores to pizza delivery places are still open for business because they're deemed essential. But nobody is thinking about the bookstores. Okay, I'm glad James Patterson is doing this. Let me say that first. I wish he knew what he was talking about. Um, 
No, but but I'm right. You and I were just talking about small business loans. Mm-hmm. Like you can the the two point two trillion dollars include small businesses of less than five hundred employees, and you, the underwriting is very light. Two like eight weeks of um, payroll uh, can be covered. That's forgivable if you don't lay people off, or even or again, don't, go look this up. Booksellers out there, please go look at the stimulus pack. I, am I wrong to do this, Rebecca? I really feel like this no, is no. important. I think this is important, and this yeah, yeah this statement from Patterson mixes two different ideas right like he's correct that the government has this 2.2 trillion dollar bailout and it will cover all sorts of industries and many of those are businesses that are deemed essential but they also cover businesses that are not deemed essential that if you own an independent bookstore or a salon or a yoga studio like the owner of the studio where i teach is doing this Mm -hmm. you can still apply for these small business loans through this through the stimulus, through the bailout. And please, please, please do. I know a couple yes. bookstore owners that are looking at it or have already begun filling out the application. Like there's nothing to lose by doing the paperwork and yeah. you know, laying out your numbers. The thing that Patterson is trying to get to here is he believes that bookstores should be considered essential. That if you like if there's a case for liquor stores being essential or for your pizza place being essential, why is a bookstore not essential? And you can talk about the value that bookstores provide to their communities and the essentialness of access to information. And I do think that's an interesting conversation. Like personally, I am very glad that the liquor store around the corner is going to <laughs> remain open throughout this. I am doing my part to support the economy. I would love it if the bookstore were still somewhere that I Books could. Books or liquor, Rebecca, choose. Choose! Choose! You must choose! <laughs> I mean, in Virginia, you can't order liquor from out of state to be delivered to mm. your home or like delivery of liquor at all. So my only liquor choice is to go to the place around the corner. So Am- Amazon's, new liquorly, li- Amazon's new liquor, liquor delivery service called Lush, Amazon Lush, that's not going to help you at all? It's not. It's really no. not going to help me. Yeah. Um, and... I think that that's a conversation worth having. And I have also heard of booksellers that have been discussing this, like especially in their communities where libraries are closed and where people have kids home from school and Amazon is deprioritizing the shipping of books. If an independent bookstore can provide educational materials and information to people, maybe they should be considered essential. I think that's a good conversation to have. But Patterson has done the community a disservice by jamming the conversation about are bookstores essential or not in with his justification for doing this campaign because it does make it seem like we need this campaign because bookstores can't get bailed out. And the reality is that a bookstore can apply for one of the loans that's part of this bailout. And I hope that many of them will and will get that money and also get that James Patterson money. Get both. Yeah, they give, I'm not saying that this this is a good thing to do. I'm, yes. I'm, bookstores could use it. It helps books at reading, blah, blah, blah. Just also, it's not either or. You can apply for a loan yes. and get some money from this if something comes out from that. I, I get that. I just wanted to make sure that like, go get that money. It's out there. If it, if it makes sense for you, go take a look at it because the terms are pretty good, all things mm-hmm. considered. Um. Anyway, yeah, I don't know about the essential situation. I guess... If books, you can get curbside delivery from your bookstore, your indie. I think I'm okay with that. Like, isn't that enough? I, I don't know at this point. I, I do worry about the frontline booksellers, the people milling around mm-hmm. a bookstore. That's not safe either. We're not supposed to be doing that. Liquor stores, I could take or leave. I don't need liquor stores to be open. But like, if a, if a, if a place can stay open and minimize the threat to the employees or the customers, I guess do that. At some level, 
you get it gets bad enough where you have to shut everything mm-hmm. down. But I think we know enough about this that if you're not an idiot and you, you take or not that's too strong. If you take some very preliminary precautions, you can reasonably keep some things going. At, at this point, right? I think we're there. Am I wrong about that or am I wrong? Maybe yeah, I mean, wrong I think there's a case where like, you know, like Target is limiting and Costco, I've heard, I haven't been, um, are limiting the number of people that can be in the store yeah. at a certain time. Um, and presumably that has to do with like the square footage in the store and how many people can be in it and be socially distanced at six feet or more apart from each other. Like a mm-hmm. gi- the, the humongous Costco in Richmond, it's like 50 people can be in it at a time. And that gives you a lot of space yeah. um, around each other. And so I, I think there's a way where like if a bookstore were considered essential and they were comfortable staying open and balancing the value of being able to browse with the health and safety of their staff. And also the bigger picture of staying open gives people a reason to leave their houses at a time. Like, and I think this about any business, like at a time when what we want is for more people to be staying at home. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. You need to stay home. You should stay home. Right. If you, there's that as well. But if we were pulling that piece out, you could do, you know, like before we, before Richmond got the stricter rules, one of the bakeries here was doing like, we're letting three people in at a time and we've marked spots on the sidewalk that are six feet separated from Mm -hmm. each other. So you can wait outside on these designated places. And when, you know, when a person leaves, you can then come in and there's room for three people inside to also be far enough apart and place orders for takeout. Under the stricter rules, can ChopSuite Books deliver books you've ordered? Yes. I think that's good enough. I don't think the, again, this is me. I don't think the the store has to be open. I think it's good enough too. I think that protects booksellers that if they lose their job, if they say they weren't comfortable, like that's the other thing that sucks, right? Like say say you were a bookseller and the store decided to stay open and you're like, well, you got to work your shift Saturday afternoon or you're going to get canned and there's going to be randos walking around. Like you can't do that right now. You can't do yeah. that. Stay um, home. So I don't know. Like anyway, so this is available. I hope they raise a bunch of money. Um, I'd be curious to see ultimately what this shakes out to be. I would not be sad to see publishers get on board. Notably, none of the big five publishers are a launch partner with this, including Hachette, uh, which is James Patterson's, um, at this point, sort of an umbrella organization that includes <laughs> the James Patterson uh, index there as well. All right. One more sponsor, and then we'll run through some other stuff. Um, one more book selling type thing before we get to a lot of um, interesting news on the back end of the show. Pub West. Uh, which is, let's see, a a consortium of a bunch of smaller book publishers, right? Yeah, 230-ish book publishers and associated companies in the western part of the United States, like Um, Colorado West, I think. Basically making an open request um, for Amazon to give them a break on some of the things that they could maybe give them a break on right now. I Mm -hmm. guess including fees... Um, and then trying to make books a priority for shipping. I'm less sympathetic to that, I have to say, but uh, it sounds like there's some things that Amazon could temporarily do to help its vendors and get books out in a shorter amount of time. But is this... I, my other thought is like, is this the right moment to ask for this? I don't know. I wondered about that. I... I don't think it's the right moment to ask for this. I think the moment to ask for this is when, if slash when, 
the situation settles down enough that Amazon is able to prioritize any other than anything other than essential medical and household staples. Like, I don't think we want to yeah. have any conversation. And like, I am it's no a great, bad look, right? Bad. Yeah. Look. Like, I'm no great fan of Amazon, but I think it, it's a pretty it's a very defensible position that they've taken of prioritizing the things that they are prioritizing. <laughs> like, mm. you know, essential medical stuff and household staples are absolutely the things that people need most right now. And to be, and they do say in this letter, I want to be fair while, while this is an understandable start, we hope you revisit and expand upon this position as soon as possible. Um, which, okay. Um, when, Amazon is able to do anything other than just try to get medical stuff to people quickly. Maybe they should consider books being. They, next. Don't you think they will? Like their whole deal I, is two days or less. Like why I, wouldn't they? Yeah, it seems I, weird. I think that they probably will. The next part of the clause here is in recognition of the essential human need for access to information, as well as the critical mental health support that connection and escape via reading can provide. And while those things are <laughs> you're laughing at me already. no i was gonna say the same i don't know what you're gonna say but i am this i'm the same vibe wherever you're going i can feel it go for it while those things are true settle also, down settle down yeah it's also not like amazon is the only place to get books no. and it's also not like physical books are the only option for most people you know in most reading situations um I, I think this is a bad look. Yeah. I think um, asking for lowered fees when Amazon starts shipping books on regular priority again totally makes sense. Uh, PubWest makes a great point at the bottom of this letter that Amazon began as a books business. And um, it's it would be a good look on Amazon's part to acknowledge the core relationship that Amazon has with books and reading and the publishing mm -hmm. industry. Um, but I think this is a bad look on the part of book people to take this moment where literally people's lives are on the line and be like but please we need to make sure they have reading material like yeah i 100 percent want to see local businesses continue to thrive our local economies need that i want to see independent bookstores continue to exist but while we're at, while we're literally talking about keeping people alive i'm just not willing to go to the place of like you should ship books faster for us and give us a break on fees because people need to escape via reading. Like people do need escape. We all need comfort right now, but there are more important things than escape and comfort. Yeah. I, I think it's a time in which in all relationships, and this extends to business relationships, cutting people a break makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like forget about Pub West and Amazon. Think about you know, if you have renters or you have clients or like, I think we could all give each other a break temporarily and that's fine. And okay, I, this is, this is pretty insider baseball stuff. I don't know what a ASAP fees enhanced in-stock protection program. I have no idea what these things are. PubWest says these things have increased over time. I do not doubt that, that for one second. I'm sure it would be better for PubWest if they didn't have to pay as much to Amazon. Connecting that to mental health support like i guess it's the joining of the two yeah that feels like yes well our second point is going to seem stronger because we're making this emotional appeal in the first point when they're not really cutting a break is one thing can you make sure people get books because they're good for the soul it just feels a little i don't know i don't there's at least a bad taste in my mouth I if it was just the second part fine if it's just the first part well settle down but okay fine but it's the transition from the one to the other mm-hmm 
that I don't that it, that I don't love, and it's public. It feels kind of like a shame. You're trying to score points somehow. Like again, I think this is the only kind of you only make this appeal if you think you can't get this kind of concession in a boardroom, you know, in a, in a conference room somewhere. Yeah. And from what I've seen of Amazon, they're not sympathetic to this kind of thing. Maybe they should be. Um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I think if we were going to see public statements from Amazon about actions Amazon is taking to support any industries or provide, you know, things that are essential for human comfort and escapism, like we would have seen those statements yeah. already. And we haven't seen them. And like Amazon is busy doing Amazon stuff and Amazon is also busy probably focusing on their profit. Like we have notably not seen that Jeff Bezos is going to forgo his salary for a year. No, you no. know, plenty of other companies, um, people in leadership are taking pay like significant pay cuts or foregoing their pay so that they can subsidize not having to do layoffs. Amazon is not in that position right now. They're mm -hmm. at least the Amazon warehouse um, that's relatively close to Richmond is hiring thousands of people um, while also not keeping them socially distanced. <laughs> like there's, there's a lot going on here, but like I'm not actually now that we're kind of in this, mm. I'm not sure what the real purpose and intent of a letter like this is because there's so there's like no precedent upon which to think that it will be successful that like then why do you write a public letter to Jeff Bezos mm -hmm. like it's not going to yield results so what is the secondary point just uh, to continue shaming Amazon and get people to not I don't know shop I don't there? know the answer yeah. I don't know the right answer I, I also think that again Amazon is so big now Jeff, someone making a decision about cutting these fees down is like, what would you say, 11 direct reports away from Jeff Bezos at this time? <laughs> Maybe more? Uh, so I, I don't know who the decision maker that would do that would be. Again, maybe it makes sense. Like, Maybe in the same way, again, Amazon is in the Amazon business, um, and they're a vendor for publishers, and they see publishers as a profit center now as being in service to them, whether that's right or wrong. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't know. There's like a mental, there's like a gap between we understand that there's other things that take precedence over books, but also books. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, sure. And what are they worried that, okay, this, when we're stopping sending uh, hospital gowns to people who need them, I guess, or whatever they're imagining is, then we want to make sure that video games don't get sent in front of books, I guess is kind of what they're saying, which Amazon doesn't care. I mean, say what you will about Amazon, they don't care what it is you're shipping out. They want to get people who want it as fast as they can, mm -hmm. whether that's a video game or a book. This is an extraordinary time, so they're prioritizing things I've never seen them do before, which is probably right. But it does seem it does seem like this is an arrow shot at a target on the other side of the moon um, <laughs> to some degree. All right, let's go to have some happier stuff. Happier unsurprisingly, stuff. unsurprisingly the, the, book, the book champion all-stars stepping up to the plate. LeVar, mm -hmm. your good friend LeVar Burton, <laughs> my face once touched his face in a yeah. time when we let our faces touch strangers. Faces. Wouldn't do that now. Wouldn't do that now. Um, is going to be reading to everyone. Link in the show notes there. Dolly Parton, going to be reading bedtime stories. Mm, Dolly. You, you can read there. Um, what else? Do we, there was another one. So we've one. got, yeah, the folks at NaNoWriMo are doing oh, there Stay you go. Home Rimo. Yes. And it's a like set of activities and challenges and writing stuff that you can do. There are mm. checklists and... I think this is really smart, not just because there are all these kids home who need ways to stay 
busy, but also um, folks who are out of work right now are looking for ways to structure their day. And I have some teacher friends who were like, I'm home. What do I do with my hands? And it was like, well, how about writing something? Uh, so you can check out nanorimo.org slash stayhomerimo or just find the link in our show notes um, on how you can participate there. But all kinds of um, cool stuff to keep you, you know, mentally engaged, give you some creative work to do. And if you are home in a situation where you have more time on your hands than you had um, before coronavirus mm. happened, um, this might give you some structure. I guess related, related to public reading of books, uh, Erskine wrote in with to say, uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about authors giving permission, don't be oh, a jerk, yeah. mm-hmm. said Neil Gaiman also gave permission. Um, Harper Collins gave permission to all their books to be read by LeVar Burton. Wonderful. We saw saw some, this is a don't be careful too. Authors don't always have the rights to let you perform their works. It's a little confusing. I think the easiest way to understand is that audiobook publishers buy the rights for audio performances of books and sell them and make money. And they, which, so it makes sense that if you're going to read a book by Neil Gaiman allowed on Instagram for quote unquote free. It might impinge upon an audiobook publisher's right. I think this is one of those give each other's a break for a little bit. Don't be a jerk. And maybe someone doesn't have to come after you with a, de- a cease and resist um, kind of an order, but it's less complicated than Neil Gaiman saying, dudes, it's cool to read um, Neverwhere on Twitter to, to your, to your classmates. Maybe that you can get away with it, but rights are comp. I mean, rights are complicated. People pay for them. People produce things. Some other people's livelihoods, I guess what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. is built around protecting audio productions of particular books. I am not an expert in how these works. Each individual contract and publisher and author. Maybe Gaiman does have blanket rights. He could. He he has enough juice to get it done. Um, but some authors don't. So just be careful out there. Um, I'm sure Lavar and Dolly certainly would be smart enough, and it looks like Lamar did, to make sure he had permission from the publisher, not just a random author on Twitter saying, please read my book. <laughs> right? I mean, you, you, yes. you don't want to get burned by this. You don't. Uh, Lavar, who knows his way around uh, intellectual property law, he after certainly squabbling does. with um, <laughs> Reading Rainbow, Rainbow trademark uh, 1978 Minnesota Public Radio or whatever, 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 Reeky <laughs> Dink. Lo- wasn't it some local affiliate that was suing him over using Reading Rainbow? Overusing, uh, yeah, overusing Reading Rainbow or maybe one of the catchphrases from it. Um, right, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was something very specific. Yeah, yeah, not surprised Dolly Parton and LeVar Burton leading the way. Like, mm-hmm. if heaven is real, Dolly Parton is definitely getting in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I, have, I have my own Hero of the Week that came um, from Sarah in the email. Tell uh, me. So um, Sarah is a hearing parent to a deaf child. Her first language is American Sign Language. So as you might imagine, read alouds on Twitter, mm. not so much helpful, but the deaf community has stepped up and started hashtag operation uh, as is story time. I'll put the hashtag in the show notes. Um, so there's read alouds and other things where they can sign stories um, and you know, kids that here, the kids that consume books differently mm-hmm. have a place that they can go as well. And I That's wanted to shout wonderful. that out. Sarah, thank you so much for writing. Um, I'll put the hashtag in the show notes. I'm not sure if I'm reading it right with the capitalization and everything, but I'll put it there if you want to follow that along. Um, and if I get a correction or anything else, we'll follow up next week. Yeah. But that's, that's what we're looking ASL for. ASL instead of as is? 
my my phone. That's got to be what it is, actually. I'm like that. That's why I said that. I was like, as is ASL. I'm looking at my phone on my email that I starred when mm. she sent it. I'm going to search for the hashtag right now while we're live. <laughs> yes, a- ASL story time. That makes a lot more sense. Great. Um, that goes into it. Um, got to earn my keep somehow. Yes, thank you so much. So I'm already seeing previews of other story times for um, people for whom kids for whom ASL is a better story environment. Really happy to see that. And thank you so much for writing, Sarah. And you, awesome. do you else have Heroes of the Week that we haven't talked about? We're ready. We're willing. Yes, We've got please. time. Our souls, our souls are ready. <laughs> I too, I can also get your hashtag wrong on the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, it's been a long day. It's only noon there, Jeff. Is it? But of what day, Rebecca? But of what day? <laughs> March 467th. All right. That's our show. <laughs> Have a good one.